0: Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, and today I'm joined by Kevin Broom. who's a writer over at Bullets Forever and also hosts the So Wizards Podcast. Kevin, how are you doing today, man? Good. How about yourself? I'm good. I can't complain. It's, you know, a nice early Sunday morning. Pacers won last night, and TJ Warren had a 50-point game. And, uh, I'm, I'm definitely kind of uh, – is still a little mystified right now coming out of it. I'm sure uh, looking forward to the Wizards matchup tomorrow. I will uh, – I'll be a little bit more uh, in, a, in a future mindset.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. you guys should uh, could probably count on a win tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're starting that early, man. Ooh, That well, kind of season. Yeah, Well, yeah, so I, I did a little forecast of the Wizards before of what they would do before, you know, before when they announced the schedule, right? And I did the forecast based on having Davos Bertans and uh, and Beal. And I had the Wizards as a decisive underdog in all eight games. So, And the, this is definitely one of those. And now, of course, Beal and Bertans are out. And so uh, I would say that the Wizards' odds have gone down in each of the games that they have.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. I uh, It's really funny because I, I was telling you a little bit earlier before we got on, I've watched like a decent amount of the Wizards this year. I'm excited to kind of dive into some of the uh, the players who maybe – Pacers fans wouldn't know as much Um, I think you know there's obviously kind of a when people look at the Wizards and see the record and see obviously the defense a little bit which we will get into as well Mm -hmm. um, that there's obviously kind of a negative connotation but I think there's a lot there with the roster uh, moving forward and losing Beal and and Bertans is huge but I think it's uh, it's interesting to look at how this might be kind of a, a real chance to to get some experience for the the rotation players and, and build up on on something for next year. And with John Wall coming back, obviously we don't know what John Wall's going to look like, but I'm, I'm hopeful. He's a really hard worker from everything I know. And seems like a really great dude. So I'm hopeful that he comes back. Good for you guys. Could be awesome to have uh, Washington be great again.
1: Again? Well, I can't <laughs> say again.
0: I guess I haven't been uh, – can I, Can we call the Gilbert Arenas here? It's great. Um
1: well, I would say the Gilbert Arenas years were highly entertaining. They weren't great. They, the yeah. team, I think they topped out at like second round hits or something. So, and uh, they've won forty nine games. I mean, the, the the year the Wizards won forty nine games, I, they they were celebrated, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the average for the San Antonio Spurs for twenty years, right? So, um, I mean, the last time the Spurs had a season that bad was seriously something like twenty two years before, uh, you know. Before back before they had Duncan and Robinson stuff, so it's been a long time since the Wizards were were all that good. So
0: yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I, I would I,
1: say I'm probably not quite as hopeful about the Wizards uh, going forward as as you just talked about. Yeah, well,
0: I got you know I got to maintain some positivity. My girlfriend always good. gets on me on being a little too positive, but you know we gotta we gotta have some optimism around here, right? Um, sure. So I think the first guy that I kind of want to talk about. Um, there, there will be an interesting matchup at center. I, you know, we were talking a little bit about Miles Turner before and, and Thomas Bryant. Um, I, I am very interested to know that a, apparently a, a very large portion of Wizards fans are uh, are
1: pining for Miles Turner. Yeah, I think a lot of Wizards fans. If you did some poll, I'm guessing some somewhere around 90% would say that Miles Turner is the guy who fixes the Wizards because. You know, the Wizards lack an interior defender. They lack somebody who can protect the rim. And um, I think that they the, – the thinking is that the Wizards probably have enough offense already, especially if Wall comes back and he's he's good. you know, the team is talking about him like he's going to return as an all-NBA player, all-star level player. I've written about that. I, I think that that's pretty – that's a pretty big assumption. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, – you know Thomas Bryant is not a good defender. He's he, he lacks defensive awareness. He has poor technique. He gets down on himself. You know he's a really emotional player, which is good in some respects. Um, you know he he cares. He tries, but he he makes mistakes and then he gets down on himself, and those kind of compound. Offensively, he's excellent. Uh, Bryant is. He's a uh, he finishes extremely well around the basket. We're talking about an eighty plus percent. Uh, finisher at rim for the last two seasons, uh, each of the last two seasons. And he's this season, you know, I haven't looked at the numbers since the, you know, one bubble game, but he was over 40% from on, you know, jump shots from two point range. He was over 40% on three point shots on a, you know, not a huge volume, but a decent enough that you're like, okay, maybe he can actually shoot that shot. That's part of his repertoire. Um, but the big thing he is, he's a terrific uh, roll man to the basket and the pick and roll. set a good screen, rolls well to the basket, finishes well at the rim. And so I think a lot of Wizards fans have this idea that if you trade Thomas Bryant and stuff for Miles Turner, that the Wizards would be a lot better next season with like Wall, Beal, and, uh, you know, Bretons, Hachimura and Turner. That's the, that's the fantasy for a lot of fans.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so it's, that's interesting. It sounds nice. I think if you pull Pacers fans, ninety percent of them would say that if we traded Miles Turner, that would be for the benefit of the team. Hmm. Um, I don't necessarily fit that range. I think that obviously there's a lot. Of, I don't know how much you de- dove into um, Turner and Sabonis, but I think there's a lot between them. Uh, I think you know I think Miles would scale better to uh, to you know pretty much any team. Sabonis is great in his role. Obviously, definitely a better player in his role. Um, but I think that you just, it, obviously, we, we can't get into all that in the podcast, but it brings into a lot of questions. Uh, the importance of rim protection and uh, how important post play is and uh, just a whole myriad of, of topics that are interesting to dive into. Um, but no, I think he's kind of an underrated player in some, some regards. Maybe sometimes he gets overrated. Um, he's a phenomenal rim protector. He's not a good post uh, defender because he doesn't really have lower body strength that can contend with some of the top post players in the league, which, you know, for the most part, it's funny because a lot of people were blowing up about Miles struggling with Embiid yesterday. And it is a very real problem. Uh, he mm-hmm. has not been good against Joel Embiid. But at the same time, uh, who is good against Joel Embiid is a great question, uh, other than Al Horford last year and the year before. Um, but, yeah, no, I think Miles Turner is a great player. I, th- I think it will be interesting to see him play as Thomas Bryant. I don't know. Does Thomas Bryant have, like, much of a post game?
1: Not really. Uh, like I said, he mostly scores in like uh, as a role man, as a cutter, and um, at least inside, he scores scores more as a role man, as a cutter, and then um, as on putbacks, he you know will get a decent number of offensive rebounds. And mm-hmm. So uh, you know, one of the things with Turner as well is he's not a prolific rebounder. Yeah, his defensive so, rebounding is just not great. Yeah. So, like you know, a lot of fans will. Wizards fans have been talking, you know, we'll talk about Turner as the guy who fixes them. Well, one of their problems is, I mean, the first problem of course is the Wizards need to make anybody miss a shot. You know, that's been a big problem for them all season long. I think they're dead last in opponent effective field goal percentage. So they need somebody to start making people miss. That's number one. But then they also need to get rebounds because they're pretty close to the bottom in defensive rebounding percentage. So Turner can help them with one of the problems, but not with the other. It looks like. And, um, yeah,
0: and Bertans isn't exactly a plus rebounder either, if I remember correctly. So that's it will uh, be a tough front court.
1: Yeah, this is the thing with Bertans, and I, that his shooting is really valuable. Uh, mm-hmm. My analysis: he gets overrated a bit because, as an you know, his total impact on the game, because he's not a good defender, he's not a good rebounder, he doesn't, he's not a playmaker. He's he, there really isn't a lot to his game. He's, I mean, he's nimble. He, he's tall. He moves well. He can get his shot off. He's got unlimited shooting range. He's seriously like, you know, got Steph Curry is the best shooter in the league. And Bertans is like, you know, just a little tiny bit behind him. He's He is a phenomenal shooter. There's these great clips of him shooting from like, you know, the, the circle, like mm-hmm. you know, just a step in from mid court and making like five in a row from there with just like this smooth, easy looking stroke. So he that he's terrific at that. It's just that the rest of his game is pretty deficient.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's funny. I actually just kind of remarking on that. Uh, I think Fred Katz wrote a really great piece about uh, the confidence of Davis Bertans and, and watching him take some just, you know, crazy shots and warm-ups and practice. And yeah. um, he kind of reminds me – this, this is going to come off weird. It reminds me a little bit of Antoine Walker. I feel like he's kind of the guy, uh, you know, asked – why he takes so many threes, because I can't shoot for four. That's how I feel about the there ain't no force. That,
1: that was what he said. right? <laughs> yep. <ain't> no
0: force. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I feel like that's kind of similar mold for for uh, for Davis-Bretons for sure, but he's watching his shots are incredible. Unfortunately, we won't get to see him play, um, yeah. but that kind of transitions into some of the other wing guys I'm really excited about. I guess Batons isn't really a wing. I mean, he's like 6'11", so I guess where do you stop quantifying somebody who's a wing?
1: Well... <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, he's definitely a he's – a, he's a forward. Mm-hmm. He's, you, you can't play him at center, right? He's not a rim protector. He's not a rebounder. So you can't play him at center. It, depending on the lineup. See, this is the thing where I guess this is the advantage of positionless basketball is that you can uh, just put him out there and he sort of slides between three and four. It's not like he's going to be a good defender against either the three or the four. So, you know, if you get a traditional wing or a traditional power forward – uh, he's not really going to defend, defend either of them well. So, but at the same time, you're probably not going to like hunt him necessarily defensively. So, you know, the opposing team won't. So, you could probably put him on like a relatively weak, weak offensive player and get by with him at least until you get to high pressure games, in which point they probably teams probably would start hunting him in, in isos and that kind of stuff. Um, and the, but of course the problem with that is the Wizards don't really have like a high quality wing to play with them, and you put him with somebody like Hachimura, who's probably more to be honest, he's more like that like late 80s early 90s kind of power forward where he doesn't at least at this point doesn't really have three point range. He's more of like a mid range shooter and you know get get to the basket on occasion, but he's he's much more of like a mid range guy. Yeah. See, he's interesting too, because especially looking at
0: um, Bertons moving forward, I mean, from everything I know, I feel like it would be pretty crazy to not um, keep Bertans. I think that that'll definitely be a priority from the Wizards, from everything I've heard. I don't know if you concur with that, um, but it seems yeah, that's to me definitely like the plan.
1: they're yeah. planning 100% to resign. Him. It would be I, weird I thought, to let him go. Yeah, I thought they should have traded him, though, at the, at the deadline. And, and tried to, you know, get a first round pick. I think they could have gotten a first round pick for him.
0: And- yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Because I think there's a conundrum moving forward a little bit. Um, I mean, it seems like Ruri's really going to project out as a four long term. Uh, yeah. I don't – I haven't – I got to watch a little bit more of his defense. I know the defensive metrics, at him is among the worst in, in basketball. But partially that, you know, uh, I always try and be careful. I'm still, like, getting into advanced stats a little bit. Um, but I, I always try and remind people: be careful when looking at stats because it's correlation, not causation. So, um, well, when you're surrounded by a when, I mean, I believe the Wizards were the second worst defensive team in the last 20 years, uh, behind the Cavs team from last year, the year before.
1: Yeah, I think that after the so, okay, a, a few points on the Wizards' defense mm-hmm. and the metrics uh, for the, especially for the individual players. Um, we, we touched on this before the call, before the, we started recording, but. the, the Wizards effectively poisoned their data by having Isaiah Thomas on the floor for 41 games, right? So, like Thomas Bryan, for example, last season, the Wizards were about the same defensively, whether he was on or off the floor, right? And this season, that's not the case. But all, 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 all of that difference is in those minutes that he played with Isaiah Thomas. And so with Thomas on the floor... With Bryant, we're talking about the Wizards had a defensive rating of like 127. League average 110.4 this season, right? So 127. But with Bryant on the floor and Isaiah Thomas off, it was like 113. So we're talking about a 14 points per 100 possessions difference just by taking Isaiah Thomas off. the floor. Rui Hachimura was number two with the Wizards in terms of like Isaiah Thomas damage. At uh, about an eight point difference. Then Bradley Beale at like a six point difference. And you take those three and you take, put them on the floor without Isaiah Thomas, and the Wizards' defense improved by almost 16 points per 100 possession. So uh, Isaiah Thomas really did a lot of damage to the Wizards. And the, the concern that I have um, and that I had watching it was not just that it was poisoning the data because, you know, I, the data is what it is. Who who really cares about that? Uh, I mean, it's good for analysis, but it's the damage that was being done to the development of these young guys because you had like Thomas Bryant who like lacked defensive awareness and technique and you had Rui Hachimura who was a rookie who basically knew nothing. And then you're putting them into a position where they're constantly having to cover for a guy who even if he was trying would have been among the worst defenders in the league. And Isaiah Thomas was not trying defensively. He was um, lackadaisical. He just was not putting out an effort. So I think you called it like three and a half defenders. Yep. And, and, you know, so essentially what they did is they put them in this position where they're doing things that are really out of the ordinary and they were failing at it. And then you start getting down on them and fans start getting down. And I wonder if they, you know, how much that hurt their confidence and their development at a relatively young age. And then, you know, Bryant started getting injured. Hachimura got injured. The, again, they've both been better later in the season without Thomas on the floor, because even just, like, going to Ish Smith, who is not a good defender, but is at least an NBA-level bad defender rather than, you know, the, the equivalent... all-time worst defender, after. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, I've been watching... NBA games since uh, 1978, right? And I've never seen a defender as ineffective as I did, Isaiah Thomas was. And that includes like Jabari Parker. (laughs) Oh, man. Jabari Parker, I I was astonished at his lack of defensive effort, but at least if somebody like came across in front of him, he'd slap the ball loose or something and he'd go get a rebound, you know, that sort of thing. Isaiah Thomas was just, he, he did not put out a defensive effort at all and that included when people were directly in front of him and when he the, the few times when he did try to put out an effort he just he got dominated and i think the only reason that the to be honest that the defensive metrics weren't even worse with him on there is because opposing teams for whatever reason didn't just hunt him on every possession <laughs> you know they would just run their regular offense rather than like doing a screen roll until you get Isaiah Thomas ISO'd on somebody and then just go at him I, they could have scored just about every time that way.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. I remember. Cause I, uh, so I grew up in Cleveland and I, I obviously became a Pacers fan because LeBron was gone. And uh, so I didn't really start getting into basketball until the Paul George, David West, Hibbert teams okay. were about. And, um, but I do remember when Isaiah Thomas got traded here, uh, to Cleveland and the, the defense definitely took a massive hit. LeBron was not, uh, the on court, uh, the on court, Just watching the facial uh, expressions and uh, everything on court is uh, very telling sometimes of how guys feel about each other. And I I don't recall anybody other than Deion Waiters that LeBron hated playing with more. And it's working in L.A. with Deion Waiters. But, yeah, that was was tough. Um, I remember how bad that defense was. So I can definitely see where that's coming from.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing it went, that that hip injury with Isaiah Thompson, like if we're going to be like completely fair to him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was I mean, he was a terrible defender in Boston, but he did try. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he was at least a fringe MVP candidate that one year in Boston until he hurt his hip, you know, and that hip injury. And then, you know, what he did in the playoffs that year was pretty amazing. You know, his his he had a family member died. He he injured himself he fell and like knocked out some teeth and he just kept lighting the wizards up. That guy was when he was healthy, he was an offensive force at five, nine. Right. And he was still a bad defender, but at least he was, you know, like, like I say, NBA level bad, you know, bottom 10, 10% in the league, but he wasn't like the worst ever. Mm-hmm. And um, that hip injury definitely robbed him of a lot of the, that, that, that burst that he needed to one, be be like even just a sneaky defender who would sometimes make a play. And two, it also robbed him of like the ability to get to the basket and he could still finish. He could still shot make but he just couldn't get to the same shots that he, he did like in Boston. Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's, uh, it's unfortunate to see how that stuff works out. Yep. Um, but you know, so transitioning to like slightly happier things, uh, there are a few guys who I'm intrigued by their defensive upside in uh, Washington loses. I actually just wrote like a little mini piece on on Troy Brown the other day. I really, really like Troy Brown. Um, and I think Isaac Bonga, I mean Isak, I believe it's pronounced Isak. Yeah, exactly. Um he is uh the A, the metrics on him are nice, but then the tape on him is really good too. I love his defensive intensity and effort. I think he really needs to put on some more weight. Um, but he started shooting threes a little bit this year after kind of not really doing too much of that the year before. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued by both of them and would love to talk about them and see your perspective on them.
1: So, um, one, I, I, I like both guys. Uh, it would be great if Scott Brooks agreed on Troy Brown. He does not seem to be a big fan of Troy Brown. Um, so, it, the, the challenge with Brown and – is finding a role with this mm-hmm. wizard because Beal and Wall are ball, are gonna be ball dominant. That's just the way it's gonna be. And Brown, I think, really needs the ball to be at his best. I don't think he's not like a knockdown shooter. He, he's okay from three-point range, although he certainly hasn't been in the bubble. I think he's now like over 13 or something from three-point range in, in the bubble, including the scrimmages. But he's not that bad a shooter. You know, he's probably one out of three where the league, you know, so 33%-ish, something like that, where the league is probably, if he can get it up to like 36%, which is not that much. But over the course of a season, it, it adds up, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not like a – his ideal role is not standing in the corner and shooting spot-ups. His um, ideal role is really as like the ball handler and screen role he's not somebody who can really create in isolation because he's not like a quick twitch athlete. He's, he's big and he's you know pretty strong. He's a good ball handler, good passer, but he's not going to like do James Harden kind of stuff where he's breaking people down and getting to the rim or Bradley Beal stuff where he just, you know, when Beal decides he's going to get to the rim, he pretty much gets to the rim. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, that said Brown's a good defender. He fits well in that respect. Um, I think his ideal role is, like, as a third guard. But the Wizards seem to – Scott Brooks cast him as a small forward. They tried playing him with Beal. That did not work. They, they brought him off the bench. That worked a little better because he could get the ball a bit more. Um, but that's, I think, what they're going to have to do He's you know, maybe he's the primary ball handler when Beal and Wall are off the floor. Um, but, again, they, they – When when they had Beal off the floor this season, they pretty much would pair him with one of the point guards, so that he was again playing off the ball. You know, I can understand why they're trying to develop him in that way, but it's like I said, his his skill set seems to be more of somebody who needs the ball, and um, I don't know where it goes from there. I think he I think he just turned twenty one. I'm not. Yeah, he was one of the younger players in the league this year. Yeah, he, I mean, they drafted him. He was still only 18 years old when they drafted him. Um, and so, you know, he was only – he's so young that he still has a lot of developing to do physically as well as, uh, you know, his game. So, But I, I like him a lot. I think he's got a potential to be a really solid player. Um, I don't think he's going to be an all-NBA player at, at any point, but I think he can be a really solid rotation guy, just the kind of guy you really value. If they can figure out how to use him properly and we'll, we'll see on that. Um, with Bonga, I, I, agree with you. I like him a lot. I, I don't think he necessarily needs to put on weight. He does definitely need to get stronger. Um, I think that the, the league is moving much more towards like just quickness in general, mm-hmm. quickness speed. And I think that's important, but he definitely needs to get stronger. And the big thing with him is he needs to, he needs to just do more. There needs to be more volume in everything that he does. I, I, I like what he does overall. He's you know, hit threes this season, but on very low volume. So it's hard to sh- be sure that this is like a genuine change in, in skill. That said, he, he has been pretty good. I mean, his usage rate coming into the bubble, you know, from the before times was like 11%. Four times. We're, we're, we're talking about somebody who basically shoots only when he's wide open. Mm-hmm. and um, there's value in that especially if he can become a truly like lockdown defender he's not there yet in part because he's not strong enough uh, but he could get there so I mean if he can get to a, like a borderline all defense level defender and hit threes I mean he'll play 12 years in the league at least you know and he'll be valuable because he, he can sort of move he's really switchable especially if he gets stronger they're playing him as a you know, it's a small forward, but he could definitely slide between three and four um, because he's a big guy and he, he does have some, some ball skills. And he, if he's can genuinely shoot, you know, like I said, he, he could have a th- career as a three and D guy for you know 10 or 12 years. Yeah, definitely. And so that actually brings me to another, just
0: kind of random aside. Uh, Cause you know, obviously it kind of blew up yesterday, the, the cash considerations with, with TJ Warren and how The Pacers got him for free, essentially. Uh, Well, actually got paid to take him. Um, It's funny looking at how the Wizards got Isak Bonga and uh, Thomas Bryant. And I think most people would look and be like, well, you know, they're just rotation players or whatever. But it just shows kind of the difference between how uh, a small market has to be savvy in building their rotation out and how for larger markets, sometimes it doesn't – not that it doesn't matter. But, um, I mean, that was a major roster mishandling. Uh, trading because I, I don't like remember going back and looking at the Lakers team last year and the year before they were so devoid of depth and having like actual quality NBA players. I mean, looking at the meme team with a bunch of guys who are, you know, either now not in the league or playing overseas. I mean, they traded away Bonga and Bryant for like nothing. I, 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 I just remember that being totally mind blowing at the time.
1: The, the Bryant thing is even worse because, you know, the Lakers had him, um for his his rookie season they barely played him and then they released him in the offseason for reasons that i cannot even begin to understand and the wizards picked him up off the the scrap heap you know off of the waiver wire and it's like okay so what i, I mean i just it, he he was on a minimum salary and um the wizards weren't going to play him but uh their centers got hurt the, the guys that they were planning to to play ahead of him and so they they pretty much forced to play Bryant. And then suddenly it's like, oh, this guy finishes really well around the basket and stuff. But part of what puzzles me about why the Lakers released him is that Bryant is like, he's a crazy hard, he's super enthusiastic. He's a crazy hard worker. I mean, the the assistant coaches, his teammates will talk about getting texts at like two, three o'clock in the morning of him thinking about something, asking how he can get better, what he should be working on, that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, you can ask me this at like nine o'clock in the morning. You can ask me this at shoot around. You could ask me this at like anything. You don't need to text me at two 30 in the morning. (laughs) I'm trying to sleep that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But you know, you've got a guy with a great attitude who works hard with some talent. It's like, why would you release him? And the Lakers did. So that's to the, to the wizard's benefit, I guess. Um, And then, you know, in the trade, the, the wizards basically were able, because the Lakers, Bungled the the you know the the front office maneuverings to get Anthony Davis. They needed to clear a little more cap room so that they could you know get him signed to the contract he wanted and or you know and get and acquire him. And so they ended up just giving away Bonga and Mo Wagner. And um, Wagner, we'll see. You know, he he played about ten good games for the Wizards, got hurt, and then he's been terrible ever since. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Maybe he can become a you know, decent backup center at some point, something like that. But, um, yeah, the, the Lakers really, like I said, bungled that. And T.J. Warren, I mean, I – like you said, they, they took him on for – got him for nothing, basically. And um, he's been really good for you guys, you know. Incredible. I think Brogdon is your best player, has been your best player. Sabonis has been very good as well. But Warren has been, like, right up there with those guys in terms of um, production and impact, I
0: think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's it's interesting. I want to do some I'm probably gonna write an article on it in a couple of days, but i I'm, I think that there's a lot of potential for TJ Warren moving forward too. I think he's got a huge chance with um obviously you know, with Victor trying to come back into form still and Sabonis out. there's a huge chance to really blossom into even more of an on ball role because I think there's a, a notion that TJ Warren is uh, somebody who does a lot on ball. And while he does get the ball out, he has a DC usage rate. Um, yeah. He really is more of a guy who has plays run for him uh, and he does a lot through cutting. He's one of the best cutters in basketball, honestly. Um, but he does a lot of stuff coming off screens uh, and uh, you know, he's, he's great at that, but he doesn't do a ton uh, in isolation with the ball in his hands um, or getting the ball in his hands to start a play. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see how he's going to get that moving forward, uh, especially in the bubble. But I I think there's a real lane and avenue where he could, you know, I think sometimes being an all-star can be um, overhyped a little bit. I think it's more just in terms of production. You know, as you know, with Bradley Beal, that's a question I'm going to ask you towards the end about whether or not you thought Bradley Beal should have been an all-star. But, I mean, there's obviously – Jamal McGlure was an all-star. There there were a lot of people who made all-star games that maybe weren't not to say they weren't deserving, but you, you look back and there were other guys who could have made it. Um, But I think there's a real lane and Avenue where TJ Warren develops into that. And we've already seen that this year. I mean, uh, he was one of the worst defenders in basketball when he was with the Phoenix Suns. And I actually wrote a piece about him this year and talked to one of his assistant coaches and talked to a couple of video coordinators around the league. and um, they, They all just think that his, his growth on the defense has been phenomenal. And I think, Uh, he's not like a lockdown guy yet. I mean, he can do some really nice things on the defensive side, especially on ball. He's got some work to do, you know, navigate, navigating screens. And, um, as you know, making sure that he doesn't get caught off ball. Uh, but on ball, I mean, he was defending Luka Doncic this season. He defended Bradley Beal when, when we played the wizards. Uh, I mean, he took all of the hardest defensive assignments for the most part. And he has like, you know, he has the length, he has the strength. He's very good. And he just has this nasty, he's, kind of molded into he's an above average defender now after being uh just honestly an abhorrent defender for a while so it's uh it's been really awesome to see and he's been he's a really cool dude he's super quiet he's a, just incredibly humble uh but yeah I've I've really enjoyed having him on the team for sure
1: yeah no I agree he was in my stuff you know I've got a metric that I created the I call it player production average and it has a defense portion to it and he's been very bad in previous years. This year, he's I, he still rates below average overall in the defense part, but it's, you know, it's not bad. It's like, you know, a little below average. And so he's made a lot of progress on that end, and I agree with you on the, the offensive side. He's, been, this season at least, he was very efficient on, a, you know, above average usage rate. You know, that he looks like a pretty solid uh, three going forward for a few years.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm really excited about what he's going to keep doing, and uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I think he his his matchup with Bonga. I'm definitely interested to see. I think uh, Bonga might be a little bit overmatched in that, in my opinion. You know, just I mean, he's a young guy. Uh, TJ's been around for a while. He's going to be coming off a 53 point game, so I'm sure he will be ready to drop another heater. Yep. Um, but you no, know, that'll be a fun matchup, and I bet I mean Bonga is probably going to take him. Is, would you guess that? I, that's probably where I go.
1: Uh, I would, I would think so. I'm, as I think about the, like the Indiana roster, I would think that that's with it, where they would go. I could see maybe putting Bung on, on Brogdon, but I think then then you get some weird matchup because I think Warren would be too big for like you know Jerome Robinson or Troy Brown, so they'll probably that's probably where they end up going. I don't yeah. think it, Hachimura on. So.
0: Yeah, I really like the, uh, the another random. One. I like the Jerome Robinson pickup a lot. Um, I thought you know that's just a savvy move to get you know an, a nice player who hasn't really gotten a chance to shine through on a on a uh, 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 on a good playoff team and to get him. I mean, he he was good, didn't he have like a twenty some point game in the bubble so far? Well,
1: so okay, if you if you like that, but you probably shouldn't read the piece that I wrote about him earlier in, oh, the, no. in the quarantine. Um, no, he, he's not very good. Um, he, he he actually defends decently. He has not shot the well. So in the mm-hmm. first game of the bubble, they he did score 20 points on nine shots. He was seven for nine, but he played thirty-two minutes. He had one rebound, one assist. Um, and he's he's been pretty low usage, you know, in in with the Clippers. The Clippers drafted him. The Wizards really liked him, and apparently we're all set to pick him. Um, and then the clippers picked him one spot ahead of them and so they went ended up picking troy brown um, he was a he was pretty much a disaster in in with the clippers the clippers literally gave him away they traded him for isaiah thomas to clear away the cap space then cut isaiah thomas so they like i said they just gave him away into the wizard's cap um, so and with washington he's um, not been good he rates you know below in my stuff anyway below replacement level and um, you know we'll see if he could start suddenly hitting shots if he could get up to a you know like a league average three point shooter his defense is probably good enough that he could you know stick around as a backup guard or something um, and so like he's not going to continue hitting like four or six from three point range every game mm-hmm. But if he could hit you know Two out of six, he, he you know maybe he could be he could stick around a little bit, but he's not. I don't know. It, it's the kind of thing where it's like it's worth doing because you know that trade because they're literally getting something for nothing. So and and he does have potential. So sure, give it a shot. Um, the the thing that that bugged me about it and what I wrote one of the things I wrote about there was that they gave him playing time by taking playing time from Troy Brown, which made no sense to me. Okay. See, so yeah, I didn't realize that. I just
0: remember I've, uh, I've really liked Tommy Shepard's move so far. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, especially the Shabazz Napier pickup to that ended up netting you guys a second round pick. I thought that was nice. It's mm-hmm. like the little small things like that, that kind of just from, you know, my experience and my limited experience, you know, being around everything, those are the moves that really helps solidify you and quote unquote, you know, restock the cupboard moving forward. And, yeah. um, Obviously, you know Jerome has I think I should have worded that better. He was he was pretty bad with the Clippers. Yeah. Um but I don't know to to trade uh to trade this version of Isaiah Thomas to get uh, a guy who might work out and be a rotation player is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. oh, sorry.
1: With with no that's fine. Uh with with Tommy, I, I so I've known Tommy like for good word, fourteen, fifteen years now. Oh wow he's, he is, he's one of the like great people. He, he's an incredible networker. He has just this, like just connections all over the place. I mean, I started doing at one point, like a stat based draft analysis and, you know, I would send him a text message. Hey, this is what I think about that guy, you know, or tell me what you guys think about this guy. Right. And I would send him a text about a player and he would come back. Oh yeah, I know his dad, you know, and I'm like, how do you know his dad? Oh, we played together, and you know, we played college football together, or I played against him. It's just like he knows freaking everybody. It's yeah, amazing. So far, I, I like what he's been doing in terms of I call them marginal moves. Like he's just keeps getting worming his way into deals and extracting a little mm-hmm. bit, right? And so picking up a couple second round picks, you know, here and there. That's a one a huge difference. Ernie Grunfeld. When oh, man. Ernie Grunfeld would just give them away. I mean, he, he thought second round picks were useless. He would constantly say things like, well, we have enough talent. We have enough young players. And to me, that's crazy, right? Because the second round, my my thinking on second round is one, you're going to get a minimum salary player. And so two, just, you, you want a lot of them, right? Because they're they're basically non-guaranteed minimum salary guys. If they work, then you hit the lottery, right? And if they don't work, you just cut them and move on. It's like there's there's no real loss there. So, you know, get more of them and use them. And Tommy is is seems to be doing that now. He hasn't made a like a big move yet, and you know there've been a couple of potential. Like in the draft, for example, a couple of potential moves that could have been like really big that maybe haven't turned, have won't turn out quite so great. And so what I'm talking about is like, for example, picking Hachimura. You know, he he could have picked and say Brandon Clark, who was actually a better player at Gonzaga than Hachimura. Their projection, their forecast was that they think Hachimura is going to be a better pro. We'll see. You know, Brandon Clark is pretty freaking good. Yeah. Oh. So, Um, And then in the second round, when they picked Schofield, they could have taken Bull-Bull. You know, Bull went two uh, two picks behind them. Now, everybody else passed on him because of concerns of health and personality and, you know, attitude and that kind of stuff. But we're talking a lottery-level talent that was available in the second round. And Schofield is not going to work out. I, I don't think I'd be surprised if he becomes even like a competent three and D player. I mean, he, if he works crazy hard, I think he could be like a PJ Tucker type, but I, I don't, I don't know whether he's going to, yeah, I don't see any reason to forecast that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that's like the type of player. And, you know, I, at the time there were a lot of Wizards fans thinking when the, when the Wizards acquired that pick and we're in position to take him that that's who the pick was going to be because, it, he's the kind of the perfect swing for the fences second round pick doesn't work out. You haven't lost anything. Right. And then they pick Schofield, And you're like, yeah, okay. He's <laughs> a guy.
0: Yeah. No, that's funny. Uh, especially looking at too, like I, I, I don't know. I think it was probably good um, in some regards that there wasn't a, uh, a swing for the fences thing. Cause it feels like the, I mean, obviously, as you know, Bradley Beal has been in trade rumors, for like a year and a half now, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, maybe even longer. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I kind of want to gauge where you're at with Bradley Beal and, and how you feel about him moving forward. And A, do you think he should have been an all star? And do you think that, because uh, I have my own opinions on it, I think it's kind of hit or miss. Um, yeah. But I, I'd love to hear what you think.
1: So with Beal, <laughs> it's interesting. So, one, I, I, I really like him as a player, he's a very good player. Mm-hmm. Where I differ with like the Wizards and a lot of Wizards fans is I do not think that he's like one of the, he's not a guy who turns you into a championship contender. He's, he's top 20 in the league. He's not top seven, right? And yeah. I think that a lot of the, the Wizards think that they, at very least they treat him as if he's like one of the top seven guys. And like I said, he's not that. He's very good though. So I thought, especially when Wall ruptured his Achilles, that the Wizards should have gone ahead and just begun a rebuild. Trade Beal, get you know as much as you can for it. I, I know that the Clippers actually called them when they were trying to get Kawhi. And Kawhi, his first instruction was, get an all-star and I'll come. Get another all-star and I'll come, right? And mm. they, I know that the Clippers called the Wizards. They ended up on Paul George, um, in part because the Wizards said no. They didn't want to trade Beal. Like I said, I I would have traded him by now, I think, for um, you know, a couple number ones, or for several number ones, you know, and, and some young players. But the Wizards are on this strategy of reload, because they think that they're going to be contenders in the East when Wall gets back and Beal and that they're going to have Hachimura and whoever they get in the lottery this year, and Bertans, who they got for basic for nothing. I mean, San Antonio gave him away so that they could sign Marcus Morris, who didn't sign with them. Mm. That was league. one of the most awkward,
0: uh, awkward moments of the offseason, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was really strange. And, you know, Breton's obviously would have helped the Spurs this season, but, you know, whatever. It, it, to the Wizards' benefit on that, that's a, just another example of those marginal moves we were talking about, where that one turned out very well for them. So, with Beal, the weird thing is I had him borderline all-star, you know, when the all-star voting was complete, right? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like there was a good argument for him being on the all-star team. And there were also equally good arguments for other players ahead of him. And after the all-star, after, you know, when they came back from the all-star after the teams were announced and Beal was left off, he suddenly started playing better. He, he oh, was he was incredible. Better. And so now he's played himself to a point where, like, if we did all-star voting right now, he's a lot for Eastern Conference all-stars, no question. But he's borderline for all NBA. Like, I could make really good arguments for including him as, like, the sixth best guard, or I could make arguments for some guys ahead of him. And it depends on, like, where positions fall and all that kind of stuff. I He's not top 15 um, overall, but depending on how you chop up the positions, you could sort of work your way into him being there um but again i would have him just out of of all nba so he was borderline all-star then he played better and now he's borderline all nba so i think he'll probably miss on both this season.
0: yeah no i i agree i think it's uh it's interesting too i mean looking at the defense um i think I personally, just in my opinion, I think that it was overblown a little bit. I know he was bad on defense, like very bad on defense. Um, but I think, obviously, I, I, I mean, not to be a, a unkind to the Wizards, but I mean, their defense was not playing defense pretty much. I mean, they their, their goal was to go out and score a ton of points. And obviously, they did play defense. But, yeah, I mean, you can speak on the level of that, of course. And um, But I think you know, just looking at what the load he was carrying offensively. I mean, I believe his usage percentage was like 30, 35%. It was right around there, I think. Um, And just like the sheer amount he was doing, obviously his defensive effort could have been much better. Um, But I I think it's a little bit uh, like if, if this Wizards team wins five more games, I think that people don't point out the defense as much. You know, I think the, you have to do. You have to be fair to the players and look at how much they were doing offensively, the defensive teammates they had around them. I mean, to put it to put a thirty point per game season together while playing uh, competent to you know slightly above average defense, which Beal I think is keep, capable of playing. I mean, we've seen him do like decent I mean, enough stuff on defense before. Basically,
1: about average defensively. Yeah, he has the ability I think to be a little better than that. Mm-hmm. Like, Overall, I mean, even this season, like I said before, you know, Isaiah Thomas poisoned basically everything with, with them. And Beal was not putting out a great effort defensively, especially in the first half of the season. But he, I don't think he was as bad as he looked, in part because Isaiah, again, he have got that like three and a half defender. So, you know, Isaiah Thomas was, it wasn't just that he was a bad defender, it's that he hurt every other defender. He hurt the team defense in ways that were so profound that um, nobody could cover it. Made everybody look worse. And I, you know, Beal, Beal was one of the players who, who's at least in the metrics, was really hurt. And um, you know, the defense improved quite a bit when when Isaiah Thomas left. And Beale's defense suddenly improved quite a bit when when Thomas left and the other factor is that he he seemed to be putting out a greater effort after he missed the all-star. Break.
0: Yeah, he was on a tear after the all-star break. I mean, he was um he, well, he was averaging like I, I have it written down somewhere. I don't have the notes right in front of me, but I know it was like gosh, like 30 35 plus points I think and the shooting splits were incredible. He's finally shooting like pretty well from 3 cuz he was down this year yeah. compared to how he usually is. Um but yeah, yeah I think no he I mean, was
1: taking a lot of like threes off the dribble. Mm-hmm. A little a bit of a change for him, and but he's man, his skill set has just improved so radically. I mean, when he came into the league, he was basically a, a jump shooter who didn't really know how to do a lot else. And uh, if you watch him play, his skills are just phenomenal. He, he, uh, yeah, his free throw rate this year was incredible. Yeah, he he uh, that's something that he worked on was you know getting to the getting to the rim and drawing fouls, you know, creating contact so that he could he could draw more fouls, and it, it worked. I mean, his—like I said—his skills are just are offensively are really impressive at this point. Um, yeah, defensively, he's got—you know—he's—he's he's not bad defensively. And I think that, at least in my metric, the defense part of my metric that bears out there. Usually, where if my metric disagrees with and and the, like the plus-minus metrics disagree players plus minus start moving towards my metrics and um, that's a little bit of what happened with Beal is that the two started getting closer together after the All-Star break after they got rid of Isaiah Thomas,
0: Yeah no that totally makes sense. Um, So you know just kind of uh, encapsulating this a little bit what are you looking for I mean I guess we can ask what you're looking for in the Pacers game and then also just in terms of the bubble and most likely not a playoff spot, considering that the Wizards already – I mean, I think the Wizards had to go 7-1 and one or uh, pretty much win out in order to actually get a chance at going to the to, to, the, to a playing game. Um,
1: but I don't know about if they needed to – because Brooklyn is going to be pretty bad.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Brooklyn is – I forgot about that. Brooklyn is pretty terrible. I watched them for about five minutes against Orlando the other day, and they were uh, – yeah. let's just say Lance Thomas is not exactly in his prime anymore.
1: Yeah. But, you know, the Wizards play uh, – Brooklyn Sunday night, or Sunday afternoon, and so we'll see. My guess is when they play, the best player on the floor will probably be like Jared Allen, mm-hmm. and the, the second play, best player will probably be Paris LeVert. So, you know, I still think that Brooklyn will probably beat the Wizards, and that would I think pretty much seal the the, the Wizards' chances for the postseason. They, mm-hmm. they need to make up uh, I figure that Brooklyn is probably going to fall behind Orlando to, mm-hmm. to the eight. I don't know if the Wizards can make up two games on the Nets to force that play in, uh, whatever they, you know, the play in tournament. I, I'm, yeah, I'm dubious about whether the Wizards can win enough. I, like I said, when I did a forecast of, you know, the bubble for the Wizards, it looked to me like when it didn't look to, the Wizards were decided underdogs in all, every game. And uh, like and that's true today too uh, with Brooklyn. So now, in terms of what I'm looking for with the the Pacers, I would expect that the Pacers would beat the Wizards probably, you know, relatively easily. Um, you know, the Wizards will put up a, some fight. They play hard. Um, they're just young and in, inexperienced. I mean, their rotation is about 22 years old in the bubble. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking about college seniors for the most mm-hmm. part. You know these. Their average age. So, you know, the, the thing that I'm looking for in all of the bubble games are is really just any signs of development. You know, is Thomas Bryant showing more defensive awareness? Is he executing their scheme better? Uh, is Troy Brown can can he knock down enough threes? Can he attempt enough threes to develop and you know, develop that shot? Is he going to get opportunities? Handling the ball, initiating offense, that kind of thing. Um, Rui Hachimura, you know, can he actually get to the rim? Can he get his like shoulders and hips past people and, and create contact, draw fouls? Can can he extend his range out to three point? Um, those are all the kinds of questions that I'm I'm looking to see. Can Jerome Robinson do you know basically like anything offensively? <laughs> to show that he belongs in a league. That That's really the kind of stuff. And then, of course, you know, from the Indiana side, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing Brogdon again. He's a he's a player I like. I've been following since, you know, he was at the University of Virginia. Um, I'm interested to see Miles Turner. Uh, again, you know, <laughs> so many Wizards fans seem to think that he's he is the answer. I, I'm not as convinced, but I, I am curious to see see him play and see how he matches up against players that i know very well yeah so that's yeah. pretty much what i'm looking for in the bubble.
0: <laughs> yeah definitely um uh having games back is still just the mind-blowingly new to me um but I, i'm i'm enjoying it i'm glad things are working out okay i was really pessimistic about the bubble working out um but no things are things are good um i'm definitely looking forward to the game
1: yeah.
0: um so kevin where can uh where can everybody follow you at
1: yeah, uh, you can check me out on BulletsForever.com. We have a lot of good content. Several different writers are, are posting stuff. I'll have something up. I don't know what yet. And you can also give me a follow on, on Twitter at broom underscore kevin. Um, it's right now. It's it's like closed. I, I don't charge any money, but if you apply, you know, and you seem to be a basketball fan, I will approve you. So, <laughs> cool. <laughs>
0: you yeah, I, I got in for free, so I think anybody. Cool. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on. To everyone listening at home, please make sure that you go rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify and read us over
1: at Indie Corner and definitely give give Kevin a follow and check out his stuff. Uh, Have a good rest of your day.